I'm telling you, as soon as I plugged my PlayStation 5 in, it was just like, Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week on the podcast, I want to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It is the future of video games. At the time of recording this, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the next generation, or the newest generation, I should say, it's no longer the next generation, the newest generation of video game consoles, the Xbox Series S, Series X, and PlayStation 5 all dropped brand new power coming to the world of video games. And I want to talk about what's going on with these systems currently, some of what we're seeing with what's going on with them, and where I see the future of video games headed, um, both some of the positives and some of the negatives that might come along with that. So buckle up, hang on, I'll be right back. So for those of you who don't really know me personally, video games have always been like a, something that I've been really interested in, even if I haven't always had access to the latest consoles. Uh, growing up, I was a kid who in about 93 or so got my Super Nintendo, and that is the system that carried me all the way through up until... I guess it was late middle school, early high school, whatever the GameCube released, that was my next system. Um, and I, I loved the GameCube. It was one of my favorite consoles of all time, despite some of its limitations, despite some of the things that, you know, weren't developed for that console, um, you know, really loved that system. And so Early on in kind of my career uh, in playing video games, I'm going to call it a career, but um, I was very much a, a Nintendo person, partially out of, I, I really liked what they were doing with their games. I loved Mario. I loved the characters. Um, as I got older on the GameCube is where they, they started to kind of relaunch Resident Evil and, and where Resident Evil 4 first came out. And I really started to get into this idea of some of the more weird games that were coming out for the GameCube. Um, and the GameCube carried me for a while longer up until my senior year in college uh, or right before my senior year in college when I decided to buckle down and buy an Xbox 360. And that was really kind of, you know, what I would say is like kind of my first step to kind of perennial kind of gaming. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a person that usually jumps on consoles when they first release. You know, I got the Xbox 360 maybe midway through its lifespan, uh, if not a little bit later in its lifespan. Um, I got my PlayStation 4 when it was maybe three or four years into its life cycle. Um, so the PlayStation 5 is really the first time that I am buying a console at its launch. And, you know, it's 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 a scary proposition because one of the things that we don't really think about in gaming is the fact that we are literally beta testing all of this stuff that's coming out. So. You know, one of the things that's kind of strange about video games, the way that things work nowadays, even though the product itself is finished, um, there's a certain degree to which we are the people that are finding the bugs, we're finding the errors in the system, we're finding the things that break those systems. Um, 
stuff that they just don't have the time to test for. Not to say that they, they don't have the time for it because yes, they could hold these consoles back and, you know, put them through their paces. But honestly, there's there's always going to be things that they, they don't realize. There's always going to be use cases that they can't plan for or, you know, environments that these systems are, are being placed in that, that they can't possibly comprehend. But for me, I, I had told myself that I was going to hold off. I was not going to order the PlayStation 5, but, you know, in early September, Sony held one of their events. It was the one that basically two days later, the PS5 would, would be available for pre-order. And again, told myself that I wasn't going to go for it, but it was just too enticing. I, I loved the previews of the games that they showed. And, and that was kind of it for me more than anything. So... You know, I had owned an Xbox 360, I had owned a PlayStation 4, and what I really found was, you know, there were a lot of great games during the Xbox 360 generation that really spoke to me, that were really games that I enjoyed, um, but PlayStation always had this way of kind of bringing out these exclusive games that that kind of only happen on their platform, much like Nintendo, and, and you know, just like, I'll come back to this a little bit later because I do own a Switch as well. It's a little bit different. I, I don't necessarily think about it in the same way that I think about the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, but we'll, we'll come back around to that in a little bit, I promise. Um, there's just something really cool about the way that Sony approaches their games and, and really is striving to make these almost what I want to call like our artistic decisions with what they're making. So, you know, I, I don't want to kind of stoke the flames of like one system is better than another because I really don't believe that. I think each of them have their strong suits from a technical standpoint. Microsoft in the Xbox Series X has made the most powerful video game console ever made. It is capable of doing things that, you know, we only dreamed of. Um, one of the things that that I really find amazing about these new systems using their their solid straight drives is load times, how fast games load. It's it's almost instantaneous in some cases and, you know, things before where. All right, if I'm fast traveling in a game, it might take five or six or seven minutes, not not that long. Uh, it might take a few minutes for something to load. Um, Actually, I guess in some cases, some games probably did take that long to load certain parts, but um, things are able to load so much faster. And on the Xbox Series X, it has this awesome kind of feature where you can basically, for lack of a better way of putting it, hot swap between video games. And so I can be running a full game, switch over to a video, another video game that I already had open, and pick up where I left off and then switch back to the other game almost instantaneously with like no load time or anything. And that's really, really impressive. That's something that I don't think we've really ever seen before. And, you know, even even for people that swear by their PCs, like in order to do something like that, the amount that you would have to spend on your rig is astronomical. So these systems have started to be able to do things that, that we honestly only could really imagine. You know, we, we can never really see these things happening until now. Um, and I think that kind of blistering speed in the low times area, especially as games get larger and larger, is really, really impressive and something that, that kind of took me completely by surprise. Um, but on the other end, you know, Sony, while their system may not technically be as powerful, they have opted to, you know, adopt some of that Nintendo mentality where some of what they're doing is looking at kind of the artistry in games and really wanting to present the most polished possible experiences in the games that they're promoting. So, um, you know, a, a remaster, or sorry, a remake like Demon's Souls, which, you know, the PlayStation 3 version of that game, while it is a, a cult classic and a fan favorite, 
it is a janky game that by today's standards is, is so hard to go back and play. And it's especially difficult to look at. And they had Bluepoint Studios basically remake, remaster this game in this way that they've created one of the most beautiful video games of all time. On the PlayStation 4, Spider-Man was this amazing experience. It was a very good looking game, a realization of New York City in video game form that was, was something to behold. And they, they took that framework, they took their base and updated that for the PlayStation 5, not just releasing Miles Morales, but also like an enhanced edition of Spider-Man and, you know, it, it increased the number of NPCs that are existing in the world or non-player characters, you know, just people in the world to make New York City feel really populated. They've, they're using, you know, stuff like ray tracing, uh, as long as you're in the, the high fidelity mode, uh, to, to really give the world this this volume, you know, using light that feels real, showing reflections that feel real within the context of the game. That's like, that's one of the big things that we're seeing right now. Graphical fidelity is, is outstanding right now. We're, we're talking about systems that were designed with 4k in mind. And yes, some of these systems can go up to 8k, um, you know, specifically the Xbox series X, but we're able to push the resolution bar on these games farther than it had been before. You know, in the last gen, the PlayStation 4, uh, even when we were looking at the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X, there were starting to be able to put out 4K games, but like, let's be real, a lot of what we were actually seeing back then were 1080p games that were just being up res to 4K, not true 4K resolution video games. And so these new systems actually being able to achieve 4K HDR gaming experiences is, is amazing. And their ability to, even though it's not the most powerful version of ray tracing, and there are issues with it. So basically, um, you know, again, I'm gonna do a horrible job of explaining it, but what ray tracing is, is this, it's this technology, this graphical technology that's basically approximating the way light works in real life, but in a video game space. So that's why, you know, I would say it changes the way that light looks in video games, the way that, that light reflects off of surfaces more specifically. So um, an example of this would really be if you're looking at a street and you're able to see the way that the light reflects off the different nooks and crannies of the asphalt in front of you, or even being able to see your character's reflection in puddles and windshields, uh, in windows of buildings. It's something that in the in the fidelity mode of, of Spider-Man, it's it, of, of Miles Morales and Spider-Man remastered or enhanced it really it really lets you see that and it's 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 wild it's wild to think that you know this we're kind of moving so quickly and and yes all of this stuff is done better or looks better or is more powerful on pcs but again we're talking about systems consoles that you can buy at home for a fourth, a fifth of the price of what you would need to pay for, you know, a, essentially a, a comparable gaming PC. Um, and again, it's 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 not to say that that one way is better than another, but it's making these high fidelity games more available to the general public. Now, a problem with that is. And, and a problem that we're running into right now, and and you know, while I'm recording this, we're in the middle of the holiday season. Black Friday just passed. I this episode should be dropping on Cyber Monday. People are running out. They're buying new TVs and things like that. But one of the big issues that we're seeing right now with the current crop of consoles is most people's TVs cannot handle what these new systems are doing. So even though we're, we're talking about 4K now and the fact that these systems can handle this and can output at 4K, and that's amazing, not everybody has a 4K TV. 
you know, we have a lot of people that still have 1080p TVs. Another feature that these systems are are touting, you know, alongside 4K is HDR or high dynamic range. Not everybody's 4K TV has high dynamic range. And, you know, so those are two areas that that really fall in that graphical fidelity area where, you know, yes, you'll probably still see a difference, a, a higher quality video output from the system, but you may not be able to fully appreciate that because of the TV that you're watching it on. And, you know, again, another part of the problem is while people are putting all of these, you know, cheap TVs on sale, a lot of them may not necessarily have the quality that you need um, to really be able to appreciate these differences. So it, that's something that we're running into increasingly. And on the other end, another thing that these systems are able to do is they're able to put out games at higher refresh rates. And so basically, um, think about your refresh rate like it's, you know, and, and, you know, oftentimes I, I, I assume my audience knows some of this stuff already, but I also have to think about folks who, who may not be looking at this stuff. So, you know, for the veterans, sorry if I'm about to butcher this explanation, but I'm really just trying to make it make sense for people who may not have experience at all with this stuff. Um, but your refresh rate is basically the number of frames that occur per second in in something that you're watching so um you know for the longest time video games you know it was it was you wanted to get to 30 frames per second and you know that was giving you something a little bit more smooth when we when we look at film when we look at tv the standard has very much been 24 frames per second um, you know, and so like, those are kind of like the two that people had kind of been used to for a long while. As we got deeper into kind of gaming generations and moving along, we tried to boost that kind of target frame rate to 60 frames per second. And, you know, right now looking at most base level games, if they're running on, you know, the Xbox series X, if they're running on the PlayStation five, you know. 60 frames per second is basically the bare minimum that we're looking at. And 60 hertz is the main refresh rate for a lot of TVs that are being sold out there. Uh, so realistically, like that's one area where things are starting to come into line. But beyond that, these systems don't just stop at 60 hertz. One of the big, or, or you know, uh, you know, 60 frames per second, 60 FPS game experience. A lot of these games are pushing now towards 120 frames per second. And while the difference between 60 and 120 may not be perceptible to everybody, for a lot of folks who are steeped in this world, who look for a smooth gaming experience, that change can be massive. Um, it can affect everything from input latency. So basically the window that you might have to put in a specific input um, is actually going to change based on the, the number of frames per second that a game uses. And those are the types of things that are, that are really helpful in the gaming experience. But also just having that many more frames means that the actual visual of the game is so much more fluid. Um, and there's, there's like almost like a hyper reality that comes with it. And I think that's something that one, it's going to be very hard for people to deal with, um, especially if they're not used to, it can be a little bit jarring at first, but once you get used to it, it's really hard to go back. You know, that's one of the things that I've noticed, uh, for myself. So during the time period, right up before the PlayStation 5's release, I've been playing a lot more games on my computer. And one of the things that I was able to do was I bought a high refresh rate monitor. I had, you know, been playing around with settings, found some really optimal settings that would allow me to play some of my games at, you know, 120 frames per second. And just the smoothness that that allowed enhanced my experience so much that it just makes it hard to go back to games with lower frame rates. It makes it really difficult to go back to that experience. So, um, 
You know, I think that's that's something that's really, really interesting that's happening right now. One of the other things that I that I wanted to talk about in terms of what's going on now and 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 what implications I think it has for the future are is is in the realm of control. So I, I brought up the switch earlier, and and one of the things that I always think about with the Joy Cons is the fact that you know there are these really interesting devices that have gyroscopes and IR sensors and you know you can use them in all sorts of different ways kind of like the Wiimote and, and Wii Nunchuck and, and the Wii U pad and all of that and that type of control is something that seems really just at place with Nintendo but playing around with the PlayStation 5 and their tech demo Astro's Playroom I also started to notice that they kind of started to implement some of that gyroscopic control in there too, which is really interesting because what I love to see is the way certain companies are exploring input and how we control games. So, you know, one aspect of that might be VR. Uh, so, you know, VR headsets started to become a big thing during the last generation of video games during the PlayStation 4 era. You know, we have, you know, the PlayStation headset, we have the Oculus headset, like there are these really interesting systems that allow us to experience games in a new way uh, or allow games to be specifically developed for them in this way that alters their experience and allows us to be a part of that experience. And while VR may not necessarily be for me, differences in the way that we control games is really incredibly interesting. And it adds a layer to what can actually help games go further in the future because, and I'm gonna say this right now, and I know not everybody's going to agree with this because again, you know, people that are playing on PC, they, they already can see how much further we can go. But like for me, there's there's going to be diminishing returns on making graphics better, better, and better. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like I don't necessarily want to play a game that just looks like real life uh, because I'm living my real life. I can actually go out and do things. I don't necessarily need to do that in a video game. I do like a layer of this is still not a real thing that I'm controlling. Um, you know, so I, I don't see that, like, even though I know we're going to keep pushing there, we're going to keep pushing until the level of realism in video games is almost indistinguishable from real life. I don't know how long that's going to take. The way things are going, I, I'm sure we will be, be there sooner rather than later. But for me, the things that are that are really important, the things that I'm really looking forward to as we kind of continue to go further in this world of gaming is, all right, how are we controlling our games? Um, you know, so are we are we using, you know, gyroscopic controllers? The, the PlayStation 5 controller has, you know, triggers that that respond and, and have added resistance because they added motors. So if you're doing certain things, it might make it more difficult to pull the triggers. It might, you know, require more pressure or it might let you throttle more easily. Um, you know, it, it has a microphone built right into the controller so you can blow into it or speak into it. What are the implications of that for control? I, I just think there's a way that we're interfacing with these systems that I'll be honest, when I was a kid playing with Super Nintendo, I could never have imagined that we would get to the point where, all right, when I'm sitting on a, on the couch and, and playing a racing game and, you know, we all do that thing where we turn the controller like we're turning a steering wheel. Well, now when I do that, you know, and again, this is kind of a throwback to the to the Wii and, and what that brought on. When we do that now, we're actually doing that. And I, I, I wonder how do we continue that path? You know, what's next for controller technology and the way that we control our games? I, I think that's a fundamentally interesting piece of it. I think one of the other things that I really want to talk about outside of like kind of the control mechanisms and what's potentially there in the future is, is just the way that games are going right now. Um, and, but what I mean is kind of like the, the marketplace for video games. So one of the things that drew a lot of attention at the launch of this new era of video games was, all right, 
Sony is selling their games for 70 bucks. And, you know, I'll, I'll be real, like it was a little jarring at first, like it was hard enough raising up to $60 last generation. Um, you know, so video games are expensive. And so I am one of those people that if I am buying a game, if I'm spending full price on it, I better get my money's worth out of it. And, you know, realistically, as a person who goes to the movies a lot, it, it's really looking at it as, all right, how much do I pay for a movie? Like if I were just buying a ticket and paying $10, you know, for a two and a half hour experience, all right, each, each $10 of that video game price better equate to that much, you know, time playing the game or, or whatever, you know? And so that's kind of the rationale that I have when I go into my video game purchases. Um, it also means that I buy a lot less video games because, you know, even though I love games, I don't want to spend all of my money on them. I have other things that I need to pay for as well as, you know, you know, I, I'm running my own little small business here. I have groceries, I have rent, all of that stuff. I can't be spending all my money on video games. And so in, in a sense, there are different ways that other companies have kind of approached that and, and are, are looking at that and are, are kind of putting it on their head. And one of those is in the Xbox ecosystem, they have something called Games Pass. And I'm not going to get into all of the different versions of Games Pass. There's plenty of documentation of it out there. But the easiest way for me to explain it to people who may not be familiar with it right now is it's kind of like a Netflix subscription for gaming. So for a monthly fee, you get access to a specific library of games and that library of games changes. Uh, so, you know, every month or so new games might be added. Some games might be taken away from it, uh, but you have access to this kind of revolving library of games. Some stuff is going to stay there longer than others. And generally speaking, Microsoft first party games get added there uh, quite a bit. And so it's a in a sense, it's a cheaper way to get access to more and more games. And listening to Phil Spencer talk about it, uh, Phil Spencer is the head of Xbox for Microsoft uh, on a recent podcast um, on, on the Decoder podcast uh, from Neelai Patel of The Verge. Uh, he was discussing the fact that, you know, Games Pass isn't just kind of this, this Netflix of gaming thing, because the idea is you're also supposed to, if you like the games that you're playing there, the hope is that you're going to purchase them. And by having a subscription to Games Pass, you're going to get a discount on some of those prices, etc., etc. So for a lot of ways, it, it is a way to get people to see games that they probably would have missed. And from talking to people that I have, it seems like that's been working really well for them because there might be indie games, there might be lesser known developers that are putting out games that people can get exposed to on Games Pass and uh, are on Game Pass. And that's something that's really, really cool. You know, there's, there's something to be said for that. And there's also something to be said about the accessibility of being able to pay a lower monthly price, you know, and so say, you know, for a fraction of the price of a new PlayStation 5 game, you can have access to, it's it's probably more than this, but a, like a hundred games right off the bat. And, and I mean, that's can be pretty cool. Um, that said, for me, like it, it doesn't necessarily work out that well because most of the games that are on that list, I'm, I'm not the most interested in, but for a lot of people, it is an extreme value. And I think that's something that, that we're going to kind of be contending with as we go forward in this future of gaming. You know, what is kind of, what are the qualities that you are looking for in your video games and how does that dictate what systems, what ecosystems you find yourself kind of gravitating towards. So for me, because, you know, I, I, I hate to sound snobby like this, like, you know, this is my like, <laughs> this isn't my like Martin Scorsese thing, but you know, I, I care a lot more about like, I, I don't want to call them like artisanal games, but like games that have a very focused, 
you know, development and story and an interest. And so I do honestly find myself drawn to a lot more of the exclusives that I might see on the PlayStation 5 or, you know, on a Nintendo console. And, you know, that's just me. You know, for other people, they may enjoy a lot more shooters and racing games and, you know, uh, you know, Western RPGs and things like that, that they will be able to find in Xbox Game Pass. So I, I think that's that's really another interesting place for gaming where, you know, what we're what we're really starting to see is, you know, and, and that it's not that this didn't exist before, but we're really able to give or create consoles and console experiences for specific audiences who have specific interests. And, you know, and I, and I think we're going to kind of see that kind of continue. One thing that I wish would end that I don't think is going to end anytime soon, and this is sort of tied into the Game Pass model, is this idea of games as a service. Uh, so basically a way to think about this is, you know, I'm just going to throw out the this idea of a never ending game, um, uh, something like what Destiny was supposed to be. You you pay or are given kind of free entry to this game and over the lifetime of it, you're paying for expansions or you're paying for cosmetic items or, or things that enhance your experience with the game. And I personally don't like that, but it's it's kind of the model that people are getting used to. It's that it's that idea of the subscription service like, all right, we're going to pay for a season pass for the game. The game is going to be free, but we're going to pay for a season pass that as long as we're playing that game, if we hit all of our dailies, we're going to unlock all the things that come with this season pass. And you know, again, it, it's just not for me. I'm not going to say that it is not a good thing at all, because I, I think for some people it works. Uh, I fundamentally don't really like that business model. In a lot of ways, it feels kind of anti-consumer to me. Um, not to say that it is, it is, you know, in some cases, in some games, it ends up being kind of like pay to win. Um, you know, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily love the kind of play to pay, you know, ways that some of these games are going in, in their structure. And I mean, again, this is something that I, that I don't have a lot of knowledge about. It's just something that I've kind of seen from afar because most of the games that I play exist a little bit outside of that. Not to say they're completely outside of that, because I think DLC can be a version of this. And, and DLC, for um, people who don't know, is downloadable content. And this idea that there might be expanded content that is added to games after they release uh, to enhance or continue the experience of that game. Um, and DLC is kind of like one of those like love it or hate it ideas. Sometimes DLC is amazing and worth every penny. Sometimes it's stuff that's technically already in the game and you're just paying to unlock it, uh, which I think is kind of the most nefarious. And, you know, as I said up top, this idea that we're kind of beta, test beta testing everything, I think in some ways DLC can feel kind of like that. Like when you get to the end of something and you're like, oh, like that was a great experience, but I paid $70 for that game. I got this much enjoyment out of it. Oh, they're going to be adding more later. What well, was I sold an incomplete game? How do you kind of, how do you reckon, you know, or how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile you know, that kind of idea. And I think that's something that I, I'm very interested to see how DLC kind of continues going forward in the future. And if we start to see way more of kind of that play to pay model where, all right, we have more games that are coming out at cheaper prices or for free, you know, a la an Apex Legends or, you know, a Call of Duty Warzone or a Fortnite. Uh, and, you know, starting to add more of the, all right, you're going to 
you can start out the game for free, you can play for free, but you know, in order to unlock XYZ, you have to pay. In order to get this skin, you have to pay. Um, I wonder if we're gonna see a lot more of that going forward. And my hope is just that that doesn't interfere with our ability to get games that are that are strong single player experiences. One, because uh, you know a lot of what we see with these pay to play, you know, games as a service games is a lot of them are multiplayer games. You know, again, which might also be part of the reason why I I don't frequent those environments often. Um, but I just hope that that doesn't impact the level of quality and the number of single player experiences that we are able to get from, from these video games that are being developed. Um, you know, for me, again, as a big lover of film, one of the trends that I have really enjoyed since like the PS3, Xbox 360 era specifically is the, are, are the kind of the big cinematic games. Like, you know, not saying that everything needs to be, you know, this this engrossing cinematic experience, but, you know, playing something like Spider-Man Miles Morales recently, you know, really kind of reminded me why I love these like story driven games and, you know, it, it, and especially story driven open world games where it feels like I am engaged with this problem for this specific community. I am there to help solve it as well as, you know, having my own character development and, and going through these experiences. And it's just, I, I don't know, it's just a lot of fun. And, and I really kind of enjoy, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. And I, and I hope that doesn't go away. I hope we don't lose that specific focus in gaming. And the way things have been going on the indie side of things, I, I, I don't know if it's it's really possible for us to lose out on that because as long as there are some people who want to see that, there will always be someone to make that. So, you know, again, and part of this is from the PC era of, of you know, PC side of gaming, but console makers, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo have embraced indie video game development quite a bit over the last few years, I, I would say really over the last decade and a half, uh, we've seen a lot of it. Maybe the last, yeah, yeah, decade and a half is probably like the, the best way to put it. And it, it's just interesting to see people who loved games and, and just playing games, being able to take that love and transform it into the types of gaming experiences that they want to see at price points that are far lower than kind of our AAA, you know, major studio developed games. And we've been seeing these pop up. We've been seeing partnerships between the big companies and these indie developers and everything good that's been able to come of that. And these really niche video game experiences that have have blossomed kind of out of nowhere. Like I, I think about stuff like Among Us, and even though I don't play Among Us, it, it's not really my thing, watching the way that that has spiraled and the way that people have taken to it is this really interesting thing. Thinking about the hubbub around Hollow Knight when that was starting to get big or, or the beautiful Hyperlight Drifter or stuff like Bastion or Super Meat Boy or, you know, uh, the Binding of Isaac, like all of these different indie games that have kind of taken on their own life and, and really grown and blossomed. And, you know, looking at what some of the current consoles are doing. So for the Xbox One, or not the Xbox One, the Xbox Series S and Series X, you can actually pay to open up the developer mode on those consoles, which gives you access to do a lot of things that will let you test, you know, if you are, you are a creator, if you are, you know, figuring out how to develop your own game, you can actually use your Xbox Series S or Series X to test that stuff. And, and I just think that's awesome. Giving people the ability to turn their consoles into a dev environment so that they can experiment with this stuff and, and see what works and see how they can make kind of the next big game 
that's just really cool to me. And, and I think that's something that I'm really interested to see in the future. Like, you know, thinking about stuff like, you know, I guess it's called Roblox or, or Minecraft and, and what people have been able to do in those games from a construction standpoint, from a building standpoint, it's kind of like the new Legos. Like, and I, and I, and I'm sure someone has made that analogy before. And I, and I don't mean to like steal that from somebody if they've said it before, but I think that's what's really cool about it. You know, right now we are in this place where indie development within video games is is touted, it is celebrated. And so if we can give more people the opportunity to bring the games to life that they want to see and that other people are interested in, I, I think we have a really bright future ahead of us, you know? And so coupling passion for games, with these really powerful systems that are able to do things that back in the day we could only imagine. I, I feel like the sky's the limit in terms of where video games are going. And I hope that we don't get bogged down or tied down by some of the decisions to really just focus on kind of these pay models that just net more and more money and we do focus much more on the actual experience of the games you know again for me personally and and i will i will end it here i promise for me personally the things that i want to see as we continue to go and for to go forward are you know new and enhanced ways for us to control games and play games you know give us different ways to experience moving through a game world or completing tasks i just i just want to try different things give me engrossing engaging stories that i have not heard before that are are pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a video game and do it beautifully. You know, we have the technology now to make incredibly beautiful games affordable and runnable for people who don't have the highest NPCs. So I want to see all of those things happen. I think accessibility is the name of the game going forward in terms of games and not just accessibility in terms of play, because I, I think I've talked about this in a really old episode of the podcast, a commercial that I saw um, for Microsoft's accessibility controllers so that differently functioning human beings can play games in, in no matter what their circumstances are. I, I think that's a brilliant way to, to do things. And so to keep that control in mind, to make games accessible in that way is awesome, but also from a price standpoint. So even though the Xbox Series S is not the most powerful version of the Xbox console that you can get right now, we're talking about a, a very cheap, but still solidly performing device that makes high quality, high caliber games available to a broad number of people. And I think that's something that that really needs to be considered. Like some folks just kind of write it off because they're like, oh, the, the Xbox Series X is so much more powerful. Why would you ever buy an Xbox Series S? And, you know, frankly, for folks who may not be able to spend that extra 150 bucks or whatever it is, being able to put a lower price point console out that is able to play most of the same games, maybe not to the same graphical fidelity, but to largely, largely similar performance. Again, like, yes, I know things are a step down. It may not be able to do all of the same things, but it's still, still a game changer for people who this type of gaming has been out of reach. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, I see a lot of promise in the future for gaming uh, and I can't wait to see what we're all playing like 10 years from now, because like I said, the rate at which things are going right now, when I was playing my Xbox 360 at the end of my college experience, I had no idea that games would begin to look and feel even better. I didn't understand that games would be larger, that there would be even better 
music and vocal performance and motion capture and all of these things. And, and so much, even from that point that was being done has expanded and gotten better and gotten more beautiful and, and achieved higher graphical fidelity and higher performance and faster load times. I just, I can't wait to see what video games are like 10 years from now and what things I'm touting then and what things I'm celebrating then. So yeah, that's all I got to say about the future of games for now. So what are your thoughts on the future of gaming? What are the things that you've noticed about this current gen? I want to hear from you. I'm at LarryTron pretty much everywhere on social media, or you can shoot me an email, Larry at LM2Photo.com. Uh, you can also hit up the Stay Watching podcast, uh, Twitter at Stay Watching Pod. Um, and the Gmail address for Stay Watching is pretty much the same thing. Stay Watching Pod at gmail.com. On top of today's topic, well, you know, I got to share what I've been watching recently. Um, and, you know, so obviously during the podcast, I talked there during the main topic section. I talked a little bit about playing Miles Morales Spider-Man on the PS5. I platinum that game. Uh, I probably should have said that during that section. But basically, more or less, I've done everything that you can do in the game. Uh, I still want to go back and play the game through on the hardest difficulty setting. But we will see when that happens. I've already put a lot of time into it, so I'm going to try some other games like Demon's Souls, as well as going back and, and trying out some games on the PS4 that I didn't finish playing before upgrading to the PlayStation 5. On top of that, recently on HBO Max, I watched the show Raised by Wolves. Um, if you like Ridley Scott style stuff, uh, he is an executive producer on this and directed a few episodes of the series. I highly recommend, um, basic synopsis. There's a civil war on earth. Things don't go so hot for the planet. And so people need to find a new place to live. Two androids are sent with some embryos to try to raise a new colony of humans on another planet. Um, but not everything is as it seems. And I will leave it at that. I thought it was a really brilliantly done series. I like the story. I like the performances there. It's, it's perfectly peculiar in so many different, really fun ways. And I, and I think it's worth watching. Uh, on top of that, I have started the Animaniacs reboot. Uh, I will be talking about this more on the next episode of the podcast, hint, hint, wink, wink, where I'm going to be talking about nostalgia. It's going to be kind of like a follow-up episode to the old nostalgia episode that I recorded before. Um, so look forward to that. Um, just kind of quick thoughts. I'm about three episodes in so far, and I think there are a total of... I want to say like eight or 10 episodes. Um, it is funny. It is still funny. I just, there's, there's challenges that I, that I find myself kind of facing, uh, with this reboot and, and it makes me really want to go back and see what episodes of the original that I can find, because there is a part of me that's wondering if some of the things that I'm having problems with existed in the original or if they are, you know, just problems due to kind of our, our current time. So I will report back on the Animaniacs in the future. Um, other things that I'm watching right now, Holiday Baking Championship is in full swing. Uh, lots of really interesting bakers mixing lots of really interesting flavors. Um, they are much more skilled than the Halloween baking championship folks. The other show that I'm watching right now in terms of food is holiday wars. Uh, if you enjoy cooking competition shows and drama, um, this show is probably for you. There's a lot of snark. There's a lot of drama on this season of holiday wars. Um, I don't know if the teams are necessarily the best teams. 
uh, in terms of like their overall skill and the quality of, you know, their output. Uh, but they're definitely some of the most entertaining. Uh, so definitely check that out if you have the opportunity to. Uh, I also just recently watched Sarah Cooper's Everything's Fine or Everything is Fine. Um, Sarah Cooper, if you are not like familiar with her name, is basically the comedian who over the past few months really got popular because of these lip syncing videos that she was doing to President Trump's remarks. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed her uh, special, though I don't know if it's one that I would recommend to everybody. Sarah Cooper's comedy is very absurdist. And so uh, by that, I mean, it's going to be weird for a lot of people. And so if you're not really like into weird kind of humor, um, you might not enjoy it. But there are some really great guest stars, uh, including Fred Armisen, uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Winona Ryder makes an appearance. Um Money, many more. Uh, definitely check it out if you have a chance. Um, if you're into that kind of absurdist humor, I, I think it should be pretty enjoyable. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's most of what I've been watching recently. And, you know, again, I, I know not everybody necessarily listens this far into the episode, but I'm going to put this here. Sorry again about the lateness of this episode. Uh, usually I start out with apologizing on the lateness of episodes, but I'm going to end this one apologizing about the lateness of the episodes. I had originally planned to put this episode out the week after the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X launched. Uh, unfortunately, my PlayStation 5 did not uh, arrive until the weekend of launch week. Um, and at that point, I did not have a whole lot of time to actually play around with the system, get used to it, experiment, etc. Um, partially because I've been doing a lot of photo jobs. Um, if you are looking to hire a photographer, visit me at lm2photo.com. Just shameless plug. Um, but yeah, uh, so that kind of led to me not really being able to get it out on time. And then next thing I knew, you know, family was uh, basically trying to figure out what was going on with the Thanksgiving holiday. And after that, it was just kind of like, okay, like I'm just gonna take the time that I need. I wanna fully play through Spider-Man Miles Morales um, on the PlayStation 5 to feel like I have a full game under my belt so that I can go into discussing this stuff with, with everything that, that I have in mind. So that, that's pretty much it. Um, just wanted you all to know that. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of stay watching. Um, you know, like I said, up top, uh, in this section, definitely reach out at Larry Tron pretty much everywhere or stay watching pod on Twitter, stay watching pod at gmail.com. <sighs> My voice hurts. I was over 50 minutes of talking straight. I'm gonna drink lots of water. <gasps> Sorry about that. Stay watching, fam. Peace.